0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Even the Score podcast, a podcast about soundtracks and scores from movies, TV shows, and video games. I am, of course, Don, and I am, as always, joined by my co-hosts, Anthony and Jason. Hello to you both.
1: Uh, hey, buddy.
0: Good afternoon. Well, we're doing something a little bit different here. We are uh, going to celebrate the wonderful day coming up here, 420, in style and class and the only way that we know how, and that's by talking about our favorite stoner movies. (laughs) We've got a good uh, lineup here that we definitely want to get into. We're going to talk about some fantastic soundtracks. We're going to get into what makes it a great stoner movie. We're just going to talk about what we really like about weed and all of the fun things associated with it. even though we have a two-thirds panel who don't smoke, but I believe that we've got some great stories to share here with you today. But before that, we're going to do our usual thing, and we're going to talk about what we're listening to. So I think we'll just go around the the horn here and provide out uh, the different things that over the last couple weeks since we last recorded, what have we been listening to? Anybody want to kick off? Sure.
2: I- I'll kick this off. Part of what I'm going to say is going to be a surprise to absolutely no one, especially if you've been <laughs> listening to these episodes. You know, the jazz is on constant rotation in some shape or form. Recently, I picked up Coltrane's uh, Soul Soul Train album, which is pretty awesome. I would definitely recommend that to anybody who hasn't heard that yet. Very, very chill, very easy to work to. So, I mean, you know, like at this point, I do have a couple pieces of jazz in my collection where it's like the last thing I would want to do is sort of actually concentrate on anything but that album is definitely not one it is definitely great background sort of just vibing kind of bringing you to a happy tranquil place type uh jazz so i definitely recommend that the next thing that i listened to which you guys all know but i had to go out and cop it as soon as i've like finished watching the movie was the soundtrack to coco Mm. i hate hate the fact that they put it on a picture disc. I mean, Disney, really, get your shit together. Um, like, just put it on a regular black vinyl. If I mean, you know, if you want to get fancy with it, put it on some colored vinyl, but stop with the picture disc thing. It just... I don't get it. Uh,
1: it I'm, I'm in the same boat. I like I've got a couple of the Disneys. And I'm just like, what are you doing? What is this? Like you have quality soundtracks and you're releasing them on picture discs. Which Don, I don't know if you know, picture discs don't carry as much sound quality as regular vinyl because oh. it's like an etched image. It tends to kind of distort, as I understand some of the music, and it doesn't. It plays, but it just doesn't play as well. Uh, there <laughs> tends to be a lot more pops and skips. I find.
2: And think of it this way. Have you ever had one of those sheet cakes where, like, they take an image and they make it into candy (laughs) and lay it across the top? Have you ever eaten said picture?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: Like, you know how that picture tastes? (laughs) (laughs) That is kind of like what the picture disc brings to listening to vinyl. It's like it's, it's an unnecessary layer that just kind of screws up what you are there to do. Yeah, I can't really think of a better analogy than that. I mean, it literally is the picture sheet cake of vinyl. Yeah. <laughs> um, that aside, the production quality and like technique and all that stuff aside, Coco, man, what a film, what a soundtrack, and what a... Now, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm usually not the one to sort of wax on the aptness of or like the appropriateness of the music to the the soundtrack and how they link that I'll leave that to you guys. That's you're much better than that than I. But I will say, man, talk about music that is very well wedded to the moment and used in the way to manipulate your emotions in the way that the filmmakers intend to, mm-hmm. um, because Hot damn. I mean, like, I don't, you know, I'm not, like, I don't think of myself as an excessively emotional guy, but I could not, I mean, like, you know, there's one scene, I won't spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen the film at this point, because, hell, I just saw it relatively recently, but the song, the moment... I wasn't quite bawling, but I mean, you know, if somebody said the wrong thing to me at that moment, like it wouldn't have taken much. And that's exactly what that music does for me. And I, I had to go get that album shortly thereafter. thing I'll say in terms of what I've been listening to is kind of everything, which is sort of like a stupid answer on its face. But as my co-host also know, I went and bought a bass uh, mm-hmm. over the weekend. Yes. And I've been spending a lot more time to actually go and listen to stuff and try to identify the bass line in the song. And I mean specifically the part being played by the bass, which to some extent like I've always kind of noticed, but not necessarily explicitly paid attention to. So because I DJ, I have lots and lots of music on my computer, which translates to a really big hard drive that I roll around with when I'm driving. And, you know, like anything can come on any particular moment, whether it's like, you know, yes, or some 70s funk or jazz or hip hop from the last two, three decades, like anything can kind of pop through in any particular moment. And, you know, trying to figure out like, oh, That's the bass, like there's, you know, whether it's actually the bass line in the sample that was used or an actual somebody playing the bass, like just noticing that and being a little more cognizant.
0: I've been doing that yeah exciting that's really exciting i think it's really cool especially this time i mean everybody's been talking about the pandemic and baking and getting into sourdough starters and all that i thought i like the idea of now we're we're gonna go through and hear your growth with the base and get to get a sense of that i think it's gonna be really awesome and it looks slick i think we're gonna have to throw a picture of it if with your permission up onto the instagram account there mm-hmm. and i'll to show try people to take off. a
2: better picture than the one i shot you guys like you know <laughs> so my like the sandaled feet with socks like is isn't like the the next trending topic on our like podcast page
0: sandals with socks I
1: Listen, I am also a socks and sandals guy, so damn oh, Don, I think you're in the minority right now.
0: So this is the last episode <laughs> of Even the Score. Thank you very much. I'm going to start my own fashion forward yeah. uh,
1: podcast. <laughs> Shaming. Shaming. Well,
0: you know,
2: I I mean, I guess I'm cool enough or maybe uncool enough to know that that's a problem for some folks, but I'm also comfortable enough with myself to not even give a fig anymore like so you know there it is do your thing it feels good man and you know like those days where you don't want your feet confined in like regular closed shoes (laughs) it's like it lets them breathe man it lets the piggies breathe yes
0: so this has been what are you listening to yeah I'll jump in next actually cuz my what I've been listening to has been it ties in directly with uh with Jason's. I finally got myself watching both Coco and Soul. Oh nice. So I texted my co-host here about how I finished up with Coco and was just wrecked and I'll get a little bit into that, but Jason you explicitly told me to put something in between. Coco and Soul, so that I it wasn't just a one-two punch of Pixar emotion. So I watched a couple episodes of Frasier, and then I went into Soul. <laughs> so um, I've, I've got my perspectives on both. And Jason, I think when we talked about Soul originally, uh, and you had listened and you had mentioned the soundtrack, you were, I think you were leaning more towards what John Baptiste did with the compositions uh, and the jazz over what Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross were doing. And I think you're right. I think the jazz is way better than the score that uh, Reznor and Ross did. I think the, the score is great, but to me, I liked the ability to kind of compartmentalize both because you did have kind of the stuff that was happening on earth. It was very sort of real and the jazz was really, it really fit in well with what the New York setting was providing obviously we've got the main character being a jazz pianist and music teacher so it it fits in but i think it just worked well there and then when you go into the, the afterlife world all the different areas there you've got this really sort of funky techno electronic score that i think worked extremely well but i liked the jazz better i thought it was really well done amazingly enough even though i had mentioned in our um out with the old in with the new episode uh, i was really looking forward to soul it wasn't as good as i thought it was going to be i wasn't hit by it as emotionally as i thought i was going to be I lo- i really liked the story i thought it was really well done i honestly think it was the Tina Fey component of it, and the the number 22, That Soul, like, it just didn't seem to fit with me, and as I was kind of thinking about it more, I figured out what I think I'm having more and more issue with Pixar on, because Coco was a couple of years ago, and I think they knocked that one out of the park. I'll talk about that a little bit, but in between that, they released Onward, which is the the two brothers very kind of dungeons and dragons movie. they're on a quest to search for their father to like revive him and i've noticed that with coco with onward and now with soul pixar's trying to condense their stories a lot tighter into this one day thing Mm. because even in in soul i mean you this is a spoiler warning Tread lightly as you move forward through the podcast. Now you know. And knowing is half the battle. Joe. You've got the main character falling down a, a manhole and being put on basically life support. But even that, like when he comes back into his body, it's still the same day. Like he still has time to get into his performance where he's going to have his big break. Onward was the same thing it was an, like we have to do this quest in a night whereas you think about their really big hits like finding Nemo or Ratatouille or even the Toy Story series things are kind of more drawn out it's over days and weeks mm. and you you see growth and build up and you're kind of you stay with characters a lot longer and I don't know if it's just with Onward and Soul not hitting hitting me in that way anymore if it has anything to do with that. But I just found it really interesting that Soul didn't really affect me the way that typically a Pixar movie that's really heartfelt and really serious involves stories of death and relationships with family members and relationships with life in general just didn't hit as well. Whereas Coco crushed me. (laughs) Completely destroyed me. And I know what Jason was talking about, the scene that he was referring to. Holy cow, is that movie unbelievable. And the music for that, it is so great and so appropriate and it's it really represents a whole culture extremely well. It's well written. The songs are so emotional and heartfelt and just devastating when put into proper context. Um, if I had to obviously recommend two, I'm definitely leaning towards Coco, but uh, but I listened to both. I watched both. I enjoyed both, but I enjoyed one over the other. But I do think that what Coco does with music is fantastic. And when it comes to soul, that jazz uh, score, those compositions are unbelievable. Nice pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. If I if I could have
2: controlled the order that you watch those films, I would have switched it for you because mm-hmm. I think that if you had seen Soul first, it would have been easier to easier to appreciate Soul for what it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the way Coco messes with emotions, it's kind <laughs> of like anything following that is going to seem kind of demure by comparison, and I think that's what you experienced.
1: I would definitely agree with you both, and having seen both, uh, and quite recently, too, within the first year, or the, within the last year, I've watched Coco, Soul, um, and Onward. And Coco is the most emotional of them, and I think Soul, ironically, is the most cerebral of them. Mm. And I uh, almost appreciated that, because there was a moment in Soul when I said, Oh, I think this is going to be the first Pixar movie that doesn't make me cry. And then there is a moment actually um, where the character does have a little bit of a, a change of heart. But for me, what I took away from Soul was it made me think so much. And I think that's why I really loved it, not necessarily for the emotional part, because I was getting uh, a lot more philosophical and a lot more interesting thoughts about that rather than the emotion. So I can understand how Coco, especially even with your Frasier palate cleanser, it is such an emotionally raw movie, uh, and the music does play a huge part of that. But uh, what I have been listening to is uh, actually a lot of like spooky Halloween-themed stuff. <laughs> I don't know why, it just... Sometimes I get into a Halloween mode. Um, and particularly, I've been listening to uh, a singer named Kim Petrus. She's a German pop singer. And she has this Halloween-themed uh, album called Turn Off the Light. And it's just modern version of, like a halloween themed record that she released as an ep and then it was a full version the next time and she's going to be releasing the third version this year so every once in a while i'll just put it on it's just such a fun campy electronic halloween album um so i've been listening to a lot of that Uh, And then as a companion piece, I've also been listening to a band called The Midnight, which I'm a huge, huge fan of. They make 80s music. So it's literally a lot of synthesizers, a lot of samples, a lot of, like, listening to it, you're like, oh, this was definitely made in the 80s. But you know it's not made in the 80s. And it has this weird, I don't know, when I first started listening to it, I didn't like it. Because I was like, I am such a pure 80s baby. I love music around that time period. That I was almost kind of insulted. But then I kept listening to a couple of their songs and I just, it it got in my head and it just like, I loved the, what they were doing and the fun ways in which they're playing with time. And you listen to it and it sounds like the eighties, but it's very now.
2: Called a curse in the cradle, loving mother, unstable, daddy gone under the table. You the Midnight makes
1: music that is for like any 80s movie. They have a lot of different genres of movie music within theirs, if that makes sense. So like mm-hmm. this one is all based around like horror movies, but the last one was all based around like summer movies. And it was like there's somebody on YouTube has taken their music and recut scenes from classic 80s movies. And so one of the my favorite ones is uh, the song is called The Comeback Kid, but they've recut Karate Kid. You just listen to it; it fits so well. You're just like, it kind of blows my mind that they were able to line up things from the '80s that are very contemporary and very right now within regards to music and where it is. So, yeah, those are two of the artists that I've been kind of listening to a lot right now. And for like, I keep coming back to this villain songbook by Disney. <laughs> I love Disney villain songs. And then last night, uh, or uh, two weeks ago. Uh, I bought my partner, Salem, a karaoke speaker thing that's, like, all in one. It's got light system. It's got speakers, sound effects, voice sound effects. And it really sounds like a full-on karaoke system. Like, the speakers are really, really
0: good. The video you had on your, your Insta story was amazing. Yes, indeed. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: bless. Salem loves Celine Dion, and <laughs> he is, and I'm, a, like, we're karaoke queens, and uh i cannot tell you how fun it is to sing disney songs in karaoke
0: oh Uh, absolutely those uh, are go-to songs
1: yeah so uh just imagine me and salem sitting in our living room singing like poor unfortunate souls for the 14th time (laughs) and being like it's still good as the first time and i fortunately know a little magic it's a talent that i always have possessed And here lately, please don't laugh. I use it on behalf of the miserable, lonely, and depressed pathetic. But uh, yeah, I think those are the big things I've been listening to. And then also, uh, since uh, Jason was talking about his uh, special purchase, I also made a special purchase, which was, I was able to get a repressing of the Tron Legacy soundtrack by Daft
0: Punk. Ooh, there you go. Uh,
1: And so, because Daft Punk recently... Retired slash, called it quits. Yeah, the sales of their vinyl have gone through the roof, and the you like, can see that the value is just jumping d- by day. And uh, I've been really every time I see it in a record store, I'm like, shit, I should grab that, but I just don't have the money for it right now. And so, uh just like recently like a week ago mondo my favorite record producing what do you call it record label yeah (laughs) it's a record label mondo's a record label i just they do so they just started off as a record label but now they do so much they do puzzles they do everything so it's just like i don't know what to refer to them as anymore but mondo um got together with disney and did a release of repressing it sold out Five thousand records sold out in 100 seconds Okay. Wow. It was the fastest selling uh, release that they've ever had. I was able to get one. <laughs> Congrats. Um, because I know I play that game tight. Like, I know how to get on. I'm in there. I'm, like, logged in. Um, but, yeah, so I'm really excited. I got the shipping notification yesterday. I'm definitely going to want to touch base with you guys on that because... You better believe it. It's it yeah, really... You got to tell us
2: what number you got. What's that? you got to tell us what number you get. Oh, yeah, for sure.
1: Oh, my God. Um, And, I mean, like, the other thing that has been kind of weighing on my mind and I think I want to expand further is the price of vinyl. And I think I I sent you guys a couple pictures in the couple weeks of uh, bootleg vinyl for video games that is going, the the price of those things are jumping again. Uh, And it's really weird how it's happening. And I've been taking screenshots, actually, of some of the discussions in the group. Because it is like a Netflix special waiting to happen. (laughs) It's like one of those things where I feel like even one part of me is kind of like interested in the documentation of it. um, Because it is so fascinating. And maybe this is me just being a super square nerd right now. But I don't know. I just, I'm really fascinated by this. And yeah, that's kind of what I've been up to the last couple weeks.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much to both of you for that. That was a great kickoff. But I think now it is time to take a quick break. And then we're going to jump into our topic at hand here and get into stoner movies. And with that, we're back. (laughs) Time for us to get into our main topic of this episode. Something really cool that we're all really on board with talking about, and that is, of course, stoner movies. We've all picked one that we think is one that really represents the the best of sonar culture, weed culture, whatever's going to get you hyped up for your 420. And we're going to go around, we're going to talk about it, and we're going to talk about those uh, pieces of culture, and we're going to talk about the music associated with it. So, Jason, how about you kick it off for us?
2: Well, you get through saying one, and I I already come into this conversation kind of feeling like a poser because, like, I don't smoke. Um, But, you know now i feel like a cheater cuz i'm not actually talking about one i'm talking about kind of like a franchise of one uh, but thankfully there're only 3 films so you know as much as i was tempted to to go back and like revisit like up in smoke or something like you know kind of on the nose like that i grew up with friday i literally saw all 3 uh, you know as a a young adult Various lines and moments are quotables that sort of persist in my life up to this day. So I definitely had to go there. And it was kind of fun because while I was extremely familiar with uh, the first soundtrack, kind of mildly familiar with the second, it occurred to me that I was like, wow, I really don't remember much of anything about the third uh, film in the series. And I had to go listen to it all over again. And I was like, oh, this is kind of why. And there's some commentary to pull out of there. I mean, not to say that it sucked or anything. It didn't suck. It just wasn't that much of an attention grab, except for something that I noticed carries through all three of the soundtracks. And I want to talk about that more. I think my very first experience with like folks that smoke weed was uh late high school. I have a a niece that I'm not going to call out explicitly because folks who know me could probably reverse engineer that, that I was in school with and a good friend of both of our, well, her is more than mine, but somebody I was definitely cool with, they would always come to our physics class baked. Like, it was a running joke because, like, I don't know if this is a Canadian thing or not, but there used to be this store in the U.S. called Farmore. It was kind of like bulk buying before, like, the Sam's Club and the, the Costco's of the world really sort of took off because you didn't need a membership. It was just sort of, like, heavily discounted bulk stuff, but, like, stuff you actually wanted. Mm-hmm. And I would go there because it wasn't too far from the high school and, like, get shit tons of candy. um, In particular, like, uh, licorice or whatever. And now, if I was really enterprising, I would have been selling that off to, like, you know, my niece and her friend and some other folks because like clockwork they had the munchies i had the goods and that was sort of the you know like the nature of our interactions in physics aside from like you know the actual subject matter then sort of fast forward to college and you know the first couple of years i stayed by myself but then when i got an apartment it just turns how it happens that like you know half the apartment there was another uh one of my roommates who really didn't smoke or anything but two of them got baked on the regular you know they would do the whole wake and bake thing they would go out in the our little balcony or whatever and smoke like it was a constant thing you know and then coupled with like smash brothers and like a whole bunch of other things that went along with that that was like my undergrad in like 30 to 60 seconds but through all of that i've kind of imagined if i was like a smoker and i liked to get high there is certain music that i think lends itself to that a lot more than others Now, the first Friday, that soundtrack, like kind of throughout, even with the hip hop, because it's so much tied back to I think sort of like that 70s era funk, like in terms of sampling and whatnot, kind of creates that atmosphere that's like, oh yeah, I could see folks getting high to this. Like it it makes the first soundtrack in particular, I think, is almost from end to end something that like I wouldn't want to have on if I was trying to get high. Do it there. The other two, maybe because Ice Cube kind of figured out the money-making enterprises that soundtracks could be, started to shift towards the more mainstream. There were a lot less references to weed and sort of like that culture. And it was just like a compilation of songs that were intended. To to move units, right? Like it. That's kind of the the focus of the other two soundtracks, in my opinion. Although the last one didn't do a great job of that. Sorry, Cube. <laughs> Still got respect for you. The one thing, though, that I think ties all the soundtracks together, and there are probably other genres like psychedelic rock or something like that where it's just sort of like a natural fit. But I'm just gonna go out on a limb and say that funk is probably one of the best genres to get high to, in my opinion, as somebody who's never gotten high. And all three of those soundtracks have a section of them that are kind of devoted to that. And they're like, they're kind of the chef's kiss in terms of like, accessible funk, that like, you don't have to be really deep in the weeds of like, music knowledge to know, which I think is kind of awesome. But You know, I mean, to varying degrees, there's still sort of like a West Coast sound that's kind of permeates all three of the soundtracks. And, you know, I mean, to the extent that California sort of represents weed culture initially, maybe that's kind of like an ode to it. And then the only other thing I guess I'll say about is I kind of wondered as I got to the third soundtrack, because I think it was very like early 2000 when that came out. If it wasn't that sort of like MP3s that kind of ended up killing soundtracks at that point, because... As I'm thinking about them, like, the fact that they were getting weaker and weaker and the fact that, you know, like, films had a lot less emphasis, I think, in my opinion, in, like, sort of the 2000s than they did previously, it kind of made me wonder if folks trying to adapt to the fact that people could only buy one song from an album if they wanted to sort of confused them in the world where, like, they were using these soundtracks to to basically create revenue. So I that was a lot, but I guess that's like kind of in a nutshell my take of all three of those soundtracks. Not to and I haven't even gotten on the films at all cuz I mean, you know, I mean, some of the best quotables come from that very first film. Mm-hmm. I mean, It's Friday. You ain't got shit to do. We gonna get you high today, Craig. Like you know, I mean, it's just it's stuff that rolls off the tongue. Like stimulate your mind, Anthony. I mean, and that was an invitation for you to smoke some more if you wanted to. But (laughs) anyway, no, if I
1: must. But also, bye, Felicia. Classic. Right,
2: bye, Felicia. So many quotables. But I mean, all that to say that I think it just very much to me represents what I think of when I think of weed smoking and like getting high and especially that very first soundtrack like with some of the the east coast folk well actually they weren't east coast some of the other folks that they included i mean like is it really a weed soundtrack if you don't have cypress hill like on some track or you know funk dubious i mean freaking doobie is in their name man like you know it's it's a very cool chill vibe on that first soundtrack in particular let's
0: go Somewhere in Gotham City, as a woman in a feline costume strokes a Siamese cat and speaks
1: to several well-dressed men.
0: Blanco, Blanco. Yeah,
1: uh, I love Friday, and I, it's funny because the first Friday in the series I saw was Next Friday. And so at that point, I think Chris Tucker had really, like, become huge at that point. And so I went back and I watched Friday and I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Um, Thinking back on it now, as I was watching it, I think I was just more interested in, like, the laughter and the, like, stoner comedy that I never paid attention to the music. So I'm excited to go back and watch the movies and actually pick up on that music and kind of pay more attention to it. And then get high and get distracted. And, and then by the end of it being like, Shit, what was I supposed to do?
2: <laughs> There's a lot to appreciate. But man, like the, the old school songs that they throw on all three of them are pretty prime stuff. I mean, like we've already talked about uh, the car wash and how like Rose Royce was amazing. But like I Want to Get Next to You is on that first one. There's some songs from like the Isleys on the second they're just so many like if if you look at them and without having the soundtracks like physically in front of me like i don't remember if they're actually sort of peppered throughout or if it's like the tail end of the soundtrack that you find them actually or not but great stuff like really great stuff if you're just sort of like you think you like funk and you want to like hear some like good stuff and whether you uh get high or not you just yeah you want to chill
0: to that all great stuff to listen to The soundtrack, I've got it up here now. I mean, it was rated 13th best movie soundtrack of all time by Pitchfork. It's right up there, right in between uh, Apocalypse Now and Velvet Goldmine. I mean, that's some pretty quality right there. And I think for me, you just touched on who the artist was that really introduced me to funk, and that's Bootsy, Bootsy Collins. And I came to Bootsy in a very odd roundabout way, a typical sort of Northern Canadian who just watched much music. I know Bootsy from Delight's Grooves in the Heart. And him playing on that, and just seeing him in the video, and going, "Who is that man? I need to know more about him because he had these the the funky clothes and the glasses and all that." And that's how I got into his con- contributions to funk, and then seeing him come up in a lot of soundtracks and a lot of things that I used to listen to, and uh, being kind of that right age for Friday to kind of hit me in the teenage years, and then seeing. Bootsy on that I mean it was uh, I was all about it when it came to high school even though I'm just as you Jason I am completely posing in this uh, this record I am not a a smoker whatsoever but I can appreciate what's coming up there and I think Friday's got this Unbelievable soundtrack of music that I was uh, not exposed to uh, until much later in life, and I think it does fit in with a lot of the stereotypical things that you would expect from weed culture—that West Coast Californian sort of style, um, the the music associated with it. I mean, Cypress Hill being completely tied to that. So yeah, I'm I'm all for adding. Friday to this list and the Friday series. I did not get around to seeing the third one either, but I'm sure it was stretched thin by that phase. But the first two are, I think fantastic representations of really great um, weed movies to, to put into this list. Anthony, what have you brought to us today?
1: Oh, well, I have, a division. I have a movie I'm going to recommend and talk about and a soundtrack. And then I have a TV show and its soundtrack that I'm going to talk about. And split my energies two ways. Because I am a big weed smoker. <laughs> it has obviously been established that out of the three of us, I am the one that smokes the most amount of ganja. Weed for me has always been a little... It's, it's been a, a weird relationship in the sense that I didn't discover it until after high school. The one time I did get... Actually, I smoked twice in high school. The first time, I'm pretty sure it was oregano I bought off somebody, and I didn't get high at all. second time, it just happened to be a random weekend that my parents were out of town with my brothers and our friends down the street, family friends down the street, uh, they came down and they had weed and we ended up smoking. And I got so high and I sat on my parents' recliner Uh, so like they had this like recliner lazy boy that massaged and austin powers was on tv and i just sat there laughing so much until one of my friend's friends had eaten so much pizza laughed so much that he barfed and i didn't know what to do because i was so high and my parents are out of town there's this barf austin powers is funny and barf and austin powers and I just, I'm not joking, I put a towel over the barf and I went to bed. It was too much. I couldn't handle it. I was like, I'm having a really hard time processing things right now. And after that, I was like, weed is awful. I don't like weed at all. Like, no, thank you. I'm good. And so that was, I must have been like 13, 14 maybe. And so I was like, no, I don't like this. I don't like it at all. And then I got to university. So... I'm like nineteen. I went to Trent University in Peterborough, which is a very like hippie uh, labeled college. And uh, sure enough, on the first day, I get moved in. I meet some people and. Somebody's like, hey, we're going to go smoke a joint. Do you want to come? And I was like, okay. I was like, I'm not going to smoke any. I went with them and they smoked a joint. And I was like, oh, I just feel so cool right now. Like, these people are smoking weed. I don't want to do it, but okay. They offered me some. And at first I was like, no. And then halfway through, they're like, are you sure you don't want any? And I was like, okay, I guess I'll try. Oh, whoa. And it was (laughs) like that classic hot experience where like time slows down, everything's amazing. Uh, like actually, it's uh, it was very like enlightening, but also very scary. And so I wasn't sure what to do. So I was gonna go to the rec hall to get some food, but I again was like a little un- unsure. So I just went back to my room and watched Fight Club. <laughs> and from then on, for university, I increasingly smoked a lot more, and I just consumed marijuana culture a lot um just anytime there was a pot scene in a movie i would always laugh it was always very funny so i've always enjoyed pot humor i've always enjoyed pot culture it's something that as i'm getting older i'm also learning uh, has a level of privilege and weed has been used to criminalize a lot a lot a lot of black people and a lot of black communities uh and i think i also acknowledge that as I smoke so much weed and celebrate 420, I also understand there's a real systematic problem with still allowing, uh, or, and sorry, moving away from, at least in Canada, a legalization and also, I guess, a forgiveness program for people who did and were criminalized for weed is also something I'm becoming more aware of. And I like to discuss when I do celebrate 420, because it is a huge part of weed history is that, I really have understood weed and we could do, I could talk about it a lot, but I also understand that there's a lot of privilege with smoking weed and for celebrating 420 is also a holiday that I think does get a lot of attention, but it's also important to talk about the things that don't get a lot of attention, which is people are still criminalized for weed and they're still targeted. And it's an unfair ability for me to be able to smoke that weed and not experience. So... That's something that I'm bringing to the table, and I didn't mean to make it too heavy, but...
0: uh, Oh, hey, it's a serious topic. We can make light in regards to the films and the music that we're referring to and the culture that comes with tons of stereotypes, but it's good to acknowledge what the truth is behind what's happening with marijuana and legalization and decriminalization of of drugs in general. That's going on across North America and much of the world, so it's great to, to definitely reference it.
2: You know, not to turn this into like a necessarily heavy political commentary, but man, you you kind of took me to a place because there was this period kind of in between what I described in high school and like college, where I had this sort of game show, and it was a game show that only I played, where I would walk into somebody's house and be like, "Do they smoke weed or not?" Yeah, and yeah. always really surprised by like the folks who would whip out like a joint or something who I had never imagined smoke weed before. And usually in those situations, when I was surprised, it would be some like relatively middle upper middle class, uh white person that, you know, I was cool with that happened to pull out a joint. it's like, you don't say who knew, but that, yeah. I mean, the whole privilege thing is kind of a definitely a big part. My biggest this sounds really bad, but my biggest kick from weed was more so watching people when they were high. Like, right. high people yeah. are amazing. <laughs> um, and that was kind of, like, how I spent a good part of my, like, you know, late teens, early 20s, just appreciating other folks when they were high. But, yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yes.
1: and So that's what I say. I think there's a way that you can enjoy marijuana culture. I think you can be a marijuana enthusiast, but it's important to bring to the table the, oh, the full story, which is, yes, right. pod is funny and it's great, and, you know, movies highlight the funny stuff that we all enjoy, and you can make movies fun by smoking pot. But also there's a real, very real personal history that is tied to Uh, We're still untangling that now. So, as much as I am pro-marijuana, I'm also pro-prison reform. So, as long as that's established, I can now (laughs) jump into my choices. (laughs) A Word. (laughs) So, the first one I'm going to talk about is a movie called Smiley Face. Which I think I uh, presented to you guys outside of uh, this podcast and just told you it's one of my favorite stoner movies. It is my favorite stoner movie. I can honestly say it's my favorite stoner movie. And it's a really interesting movie because...
0: This is a spoiler warning. Tread lightly as you move forward through the podcast. Now you know. And knowing is half the battle. I.
1: It centers around a woman who accidentally eats her roommate's weed cupcakes, but like 12 of them. Oh, jeez. And she just gets blitzed. And then her, the whole movie is just her trying to fix that and it leads to increasingly hilarious and precarious situations and the humor in it is so abstract and it's so weird and out there and there's almost a sense of panic in the movie when you first watch it especially while well, Hi, because she keeps escalating things in a way that stoner movies usually do like good stoner movies revolve around a dilemma something f- up and they have to resolve it and they have to re- react to it and stoners reacting to stuff is kind of like the basis of that
0: and well it's so, exactly what jason said stoner people are funny to yeah. watch that's so, what like, we are doing here we are talking about watching stoned people they, do ridiculous things
1: we write the, the movie writes themselves yeah but this one what i think I like about it is it's so smart that it keeps going and there's always a moment in a stoner movie where you're like, okay, the Ma. it's like, okay, they've reached their pinnacle of this, like, intense situation. But with Smiley Face, it keeps going to just the most ridiculous levels. And I don't want to actually spoil it because there's a whole plot point involving an important historical artifact that just makes this whole movie that introduces some underlying themes that when you're stoned, you're like, oh, my God, that makes sense. And even when you're not stoned, you can appreciate it because it's such a rip on stoner movies, if you will. It's a very uh, self-aware movie, but not um, pandering, in my opinion. Anna Faris is there, John Krasansky is there, Adam Brody is there, Jane Lynch. There's just a whole slew of people that it's just kind of like a fun L.A. movie. And it was done by Greg Akari, who is well known for the 90s movies. He did a lot of like indie cinema. He identifies as queer. He is Asian American. He is a really artist in the sense that he doesn't want to go for the um, quote unquote selling out. So a lot of his movies don't necessarily get wide distribution, um, but they are well-known. And a lot of his movies tend to have a lot of cult audiences. So uh, for me, 420 is uh, a way to celebrate marijuana, and I think Smiley Face is a good way to do that. And the soundtrack for the movie, uh, which luckily is on all streaming services, um, and it's just got some great jams, like... I am a big fan of Scissor Sisters. I don't know if either of you know the band. Absolutely. Yeah. So, one of their songs, Filthy Gorgeous, is on the album. Um, Ladytron, um, a lot of electro, early 2000s indie bands like uh, The Chemical Brothers is also on there. Lady by Styx, (laughs) which is like, I think, always a good staple eighties song, but got some Ariel Speedwagon. So it's a mix of that like classic eighties stoner kind of type music, but then also some like early two thousands retro uh sorry, Electro. And I think it really helps make the uh movie as weird and almost disjointed as this like the soundtrack complements it in that way, if that makes sense.
0: Oh yeah, completely. I think in in what you're talking about with that sort of early late 90s early 2000s techno or electronic, I think about the movie Go with oh, um yes. yeah, Sarah and, Pauly, Katie yes, Holmes. Yes. There we are. Thank you. For sure. And we've I got love it. we've got like Fatboy Slim yeah. on there as well, which kind of I think really sort of the Chemical Brothers and Fatboy Slim are those two bands from the 90s and 2000s that I think kind of associate really well with those sorts of movies, the types of movies we're talking about. So yeah, I completely get what you're talking about.
1: So yeah, that's my first one. That's the movie. But now I'm going to do a TV stoner moment. Um, And I'm a huge fan of Broad City. The music in that show, especially, I think the album I have uh, is the Broad City soundtrack. And I got a vinyl pressing of it about four or five years ago, um, which is pretty sure when it was released. Um, and so it's just a mostly collection of uh, music from the first, I think, two seasons, because it was around the third season that it seemed to drop. Um, but it has the apart uh, from the intro theme song, when It's five and four and three and two and one. Uh, it's a song called Latino and Proud, and so it's got that uh, as its opener. It just has the like quick little opener, but then it goes into a lot of like marijuana themed. Uh, rap, hip-hop, um, and general pop. And so I loved the show, but the soundtrack is just as good and creates such a fun atmosphere. Stoner um, humor for me can get really absurdist, and some of the things that happen in stoner movies are so weird and out there and you're like only a stoner would think of that <laughs> that would be like that would be funny so um i found broad city has a similar type of humor and again the music i think there was like small little music cues that they would have uh that really made scenes funnier and so i really recommend this again uh the playlist is on spotify but if you can get a physical copy of it i would highly recommend it one scene i always remember in the show when abby is working at a grocery store for alana and she's like dressed up and there's this song called yes bitch that's happening in the background and it always reminds me of that one scene so yes bitch is on that album and yeah i put that on when i'm high and i just think of myself in that grocery store as abby and
0: it's good times yes bitch yes bitch Yes, bitch. every time i go off they like yes bitch. yes, bitch. yes bitch. every time i go off
2: they like they like. yeah that series is fun i remember when you talked about it i f- forgot what episode it was but you mentioned that once before and i was like okay i'm saving this to my like uh, amazon wish list and i haven't actually grabbed that yet but i don't know like watching that show was kind of like everything i remember about like every absurd Weed moment yes. that I've ever seen anybody else do, and I and I think the fact that so much of their antics came down to like some concert they were trying to see or yes. some you know like something like that, and it's like yeah, I definitely can appreciate their what their form of wackiness, and it never even occurred to me that they would have their own soundtrack, but yeah, that's that's probably something that needs to be in my collection at some point because a lot of the hip hop that they reference in the show that I can remember, it's like stuff. You know, it's not like they went in the crates or anything like that. This is all very much like mainstream hip hop. But just in terms of thinking about how it fit the moment and like that sort of thing, like, yeah, I can I could definitely appreciate that
1: for sure. I completely agree. And I think it's a lot of like New York based stuff. I think that's the other thing that like it because the show is so uh, based in New York and it's so wrapped around the whole culture within New York, um I think that music is a really big reflection of it. But that being said, there's just like some other key artists there that like pop Lil up. Wayne. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. But uh, I think that was part of Ilana's character trait. Like, right, she was like so into rap and so like hip hop. And um, my favorite song on it is by Lizzo and Caroline Smith. Do you guys know Lizzo?
2: No Lizzo. I'm, now I'm trying to think of the song though.
1: It's called "Let Him Say." Hmm, okay. um, and sometimes I live in a Lizzo bubble. Because, uh, not to sound elitist, but I've known of Lizzo for quite some time, and I've followed her career, and I've seen her explode to me saying, like, do you know who Lizzo is? And people are like, what? And then now when I say it, people are like, oh, Lizzo. And I'm like, oh, this is so beautiful. Like, I love seeing artists being able to, like, get bigger audiences. And so this is uh, Lizzo from way back in the day. This is, like, 2014. Lizzo um and so she did a song with Caroline Smith who I'm not familiar with whatsoever but uh it's called Let Him Say and the song was used in the opening episode of season 3 you remember the beginning of season three has this incredible opening segment where abby and alana are each in their own bathrooms and it's like a split screen and it shows them doing various activities in the bathroom and the song is playing in the background and again that's one of those moments where it was like Shing! well that's always going to be in my head <laughs> so now every time i hear let him say i always think of that opening episode and it just I think I watched that clip like 50 times. I was just like, these girls are so fucking funny. Because there would just be random quick little moments. And all of a sudden you'd like see Alana sitting on the toilet taking a dump and hitting a ball. (laughs) And I'd be like, oh, girl, same.
2: (laughs) First of all, how open they were with that on that show is is like chef's kiss there. Because, I I I mean, (laughs) mean, to this day, I don't know when my wife... You know, <laughs> like I, she just won't tell me. Like, it just is like the great
1: mystery. Like, I know it happens, but that's what I love about Broad City is that uh, somebody, or when I was doing uh, some a little bit of research on it, somebody referred to it as sneak attack feminism, and it really has this way of making you see women and uh, understand women and enjoy women. In such a way that is not sexualized, it's not objectified. There is an ownership that Abby and Alana have that uh, is in, uh, for me, what is has agency, and they really own each of themselves, and it's never uh, at a at the detriment of their character or of their bodies, and I think. When you have something like a woman taking a dump and hitting a bong, that is a pretty powerful statement in the sense that, Jason, you just said, like that is still a taboo. And so for me, again, stoner comedy that is paired with a consciousness and an awareness, I think is like 10 out of 10 for me. So that's really why I had to talk about Broad City. I had to talk about the soundtrack because – It's a big part, and even though I'm saying that I've only watched the first three seasons, I'm still excited to watch those last two seasons, but that's how I enjoy things often. i will like, wait, I don't want to, I don't want it to end, (sighs) and so if I know I only have two seasons left, I'm going to cherish those two seasons, but yeah, I'm really glad to share that, and I hope people check it out, because uh, even though the show ended, I think it's definitely made its mark, and I think it's going to hopefully be looked back on as something that was very changing and funny. I hope you're right. And just
0: anyway, that's that's my Stoner Ted talk. Thanks for coming. <laughs> <laughs> From what I've heard in the TV podcast that I've listened to and all the shows and things that talk about recent TV hits and things that are really influential and changing, Broad City always comes up it seems. So I think they do have that recognition. Ideally, they continue to get the recognition and they still have that platform to do things that, as you said, Anthony, is kind of that feminist movement that's not the in-your-face, that is just, it's something that's unexplained and it doesn't need explanation. It is things that women can be put into situations and you don't have to justify it, you don't have to make it an objective thing. You don't have to make it about th- th- it's something that could easily pass the Bechdel test. They're not talking about men, they're not talking about romantic relationships. They are women who are talking with other women about whatever topic that they should be talking about because that's real life. So, ideally, those two creators will continue to get the access that they so rightfully deserve because a broad city has absolutely touched on so many great things and, and moved the, the needle forward in a lot of really great ways. I'm going to go into my selection here and I think it kind of branches well with what you both brought in. I think it branches well with Friday in regards to we're seeing kind of days in the life and it's it branches well with kind of what you brought uh, Anthony with smiley faces that it's I think days to confused which is my selection doesn't play off of that absurdist sort of thing that weed movies seem to have to do. I think about things like Harold and Kumar, I think about Smiley Face, I think about Pineapple Express, and This Is The End, and we have, we seem to have to couch weed or weed smoking or any sort of drug use with a really absurd sort of situation that occurs because it seems like it's almost going to take the edge off the taboo that Canada and the US seem to always have around weed smoking. Similar to kind of Jason, what you were talking about the game show of who smokes weed, like I I still kind of from my upbringing, I had that apprehension to drugs and drug use because it wasn't something prevalent or common. That's why I was so surprised about your story, Anthony, and smoking at like 13, 14, like that would never occur in northwestern Ontario in, in my circle. I'm sure it occurred, but I would never even think about that as being possible. So when I got to university and I transitioned from northwestern Ontario, really rural town to toronto i mean boom the doors open even though i had exposure through film specifically through days to confused and i like movies that utilize weed and weed culture like friday like days to confuse that they don't require that sort of ridiculous quest that ridiculous situation and it it doesn't make it absurdist in a, in a really bad extreme i i as much as i like Harold and Kumar, I think they take it a little bit too far and it's why I didn't really want to focus in on that or with what um, Seth Rogen does. I think they have to do so much just because as I kind of mentioned, it's that idea that you have to couch the criminality that's associated with weed smoking and drug culture with this sort of, oh, this could never happen because look, it's, dude, where's my car and now aliens are here and <laughs> what it, like it just it, it, you don't need to tie the two together. It's completely fine to be a weed smoker. It's completely fine to use drugs, like you do your thing, which is why why I really like Days Confused. I got to it a little bit later, and I think it kind of changed the way that I looked at not only weed culture, but also movies. It was one of those really pivotal sort of films in my um, adolescence that made me look at the medium in a really interesting way. And I think that they approach weed in, uh, I think they just do things kind of in that, so this is just a day in a life sort of attitude. And I know I talked about the Pixar films and this idea that doing things all in a single night or a single day has kind of made me lost uh, lose a little bit of touch with Pixar films. Whereas I think about Days Confused, I think they execute that idea extremely well, where we are looking at the last day of school going into that first day of summer. And we're looking at two very distinct groups. We have a group of juniors going into their senior year and how they're going to be making the best of their summer and then that final year of high school. And then we watch that middle schooler group. Come into being freshmen and being the hunted versus the hunters of the senior class, and then you start to see that that mingling of the two and this idea that everybody kind of is just doing their own thing and everybody 's just trying to make by and You can blend the two individuals together, and one of the ways that that is done is through enjoyment of drugs and alcohol and partying and doing the things that typical kids will do because once you kind of broach that middle school to high school you're just a teenager, you're just a kid, like everybody's together. And while there are the individuals who take the the hazing routines and rituals way too seriously, as we see from Parker Posey's head cheerleader and Ben Affleck's asshole character, um, there are other people, when we think about Randall Pink Floyd and uh, Wooderson, Matthew McConaughey's amazing character there, who just, they accept this kid who's not even officially in high school yet and they just bring him into the fold and they get him high they get him laid they get him drunk they do all the things that you would just want kind of that that mentor to do to get you into that next st- stage of things so the way that I think Dazed and Confused utilized the medium of the Stoner movie was extremely well The soundtrack, of course, is unbelievable. It, it is one of those soundtracks that cost one-sixth of the movie's budget. So you think the amount of money that was put into that, um, I think alone to use Sweet Emotion in the intro, which I think is the perfect kickoff to any sort of classic 70s-style um, movie where you just see the, the parking lot and the high school and cars coming around and Sweet Emotion's kicking in, that alone cost them $23,000 to use. I mean, it's just unbelievable how much money gets put into building out a soundtrack but Richard Linklater, he wouldn't He wouldn't compromise when it came to the soundtrack. He was asked by the studio to bring in a current artist for the mid-90s to re-record some of the music that was going to be licensed for the film because it would be a lot cheaper. And he pushed back immediately. And I think we all benefited because I think the soundtrack is iconic and legendary. And it's one of those things that still sticks with me to this day. When I hear the songs that are played in the movie, that are played on that soundtrack, uh, just in day-to-day life on the radio, or if I pop in another disc and I hear I think I immediately think about the movie and how impactful and how fantastic the use of the music was in that movie. But I mean, if you just look at the lineup, you've got people like Kiss, you've got Deep Purple, you've got ZZ Top, War, Leonard Skinner, uh, Alice Cooper, Peter Frampton is on there twice. I mean, that is a murderer's row of amazing rock and roll acts from the 60s and 70s that lend them their music to the soundtrack. And there are three specific scenes in the movie that I wanted to highlight. The first is the intro, which I'd already touched base on. The second is the scene at the Emporium when, which is the arcade pool hall area where people just kind of go and as Matthew McConaughey and Pink Floyd and uh, when Mitch comes in we've got Bob Dylan's the Hurricane playing and it's the first time I think I really recall sort of that cool slow motion walking scene and understanding the surroundings and getting a sense of what's going on and it is just mind-blowing and there's a lot of things you can read into it there's been some people who've kind of dived in and and they liken Hurricane Carter to Wooderson's character with Bob Dylan and the line he could have been the champion of the world and we look at Matthew McConaughey as being this older guy and he could have been the champion of the world maybe he was when he was in high school and he still kind of is now but as you go older I mean you're you're losing touch with that high school crowd and they're seeing you as this legend but maybe not kind of the cool guy that you want to model yourself after so there's some interesting sort of uh, similarities there or some uh, some imagery that's put uh, with that.
2: But one time he could have been the champion of
0: Of course, the final scene I want to talk about is when uh, where they use Lowrider, which is just cruising around this classic sort of 70s idea of you have your car, you have your Friday night, you just jump into it and you drive around. And I think Lowrider is a classic song that associates itself with stoner movies really well and uh, kind of that c- classic car culture. The lineup for this movie, the cast of this movie is unbelievable. I mean, we've got multiple Academy Award winners. We've got a legendary director who goes on to do, again, Academy Award winning films and some really great movies such as like Before Sunset and Before Sunrise, Boyhood, some just crazy things. But it all starts with kind of him doing his own uh, like semi-autobiographical film with Days and Confused. And I think it is absolutely the epitome of like stoner culture in high school, stoner culture for the 70s. Again, we we've kind of touched a lot about modern stoner cultures and kind of from the nineties onward, but this is the first foray. And in, in this episode that we talk about kind of that classic year of, of the seventies and when that was really sort of the hippie culture. And there was still within the movie, this uh, railing against stoners from the authority figures. I mean, the the movie is built around the football team and Pink Floyd is the, the quarterback and the coaches are still kind of pushing against this idea. So he has to do something with his life and stop hanging around with people like his stoner. Owner buddies and go for Aerosmith tickets and all that. So I think it's interesting that they take that subject matter of the 70s and really sort of tweak it and build it into what fantastic movie it, it turned out to be.
1: Like literally you took the words right out of my mouth and brain, specifically about the slow motion scene with uh, Bob Dylan's The Hurricane. Mm-hmm. Uh, just oh, so good. And it was so funny because to me... The two songs that I bought that soundtrack for specifically, uh, Sweet Emotion and The Hurricane, were not included on the soundtrack, obviously for licensing reasons. And we've probably talked about this before, but Dazed and Confused is a well-done stoner comedy, and to me it's almost a non-stoner comedy. In how unstoner stoner comedy it is, like, there's very little of what you said about, like, the antics that stoners get up to in those regular, and it's very low stakes. Like, this, the whole drama is revolved around getting tickets and the last day of school. So for them to just kind of have this laid-back attitude, and it's casual, like, that's exactly how weed is in I Know My Friends circles. Like, it's not that there's one person who smokes weed and it's like that's all they do. It's more like just generally everybody smokes weed. (laughs) And so I think it is the most accurate description of marijuana use in a movie. Because there is no, there maybe is the classic stoner character played by the guy who was in Empire Records. I can't remember his name worry Calhoun or something like that. He is like the quintessential stare at character, but like everybody in that movie smokes pot. And it's not like a thing that is ever looked down upon or, you know, it's always this thing that just, it happens and it's existing in this uh, sort of day in the life of people. Um, so I, 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 what I found funniest the most about Days and Confuse is uh, it was my favorite movie to watch sober. Because <laughs> when I was in high school, I found this movie and I wasn't smoking pot. But I loved watching it because it made me feel like I did know what smoking pot looked like or felt like. So yeah, it's a it's a really smart movie.
0: It is what you said. It is mundane in its use of it. I debated picking it, to be completely honest. I thought when we were originally talking about this subject, I thought I needed to go to kind of that... This needs to be based specifically around weed. It, eventually, I just kind of came down on it. First, I did notice that there were a lot of use scenes in the movie. There was just a lot of people doing drugs. They were smoking weed wherever they could, whether it was in um, joint form or bong form throughout the movie. And I just felt like it made sense. If we're going to talk about weed movies that really impacted us, even though it didn't make me want to smoke, but it is that day in the life. And I think the casualness of the use. It speaks to uh, a lot of different elements, just the acceptance of it. The way that Wooderson kind of talks to um, Mitch, he when he first get meets him, he's like, do you have a joint? And Mitch says, no, not on me. And he says, it would be a lot cooler if you did. Not it would be cool or, oh man, you should. It would just be a lot cooler if you did. So it just kind of heightens his presence, not so much like um denigrating him for not having things just oh it'd be cooler if you did sort of he's very casual about it and kind of what you said there anthony there's a a casual nature around it which i really appreciated jason any thoughts
2: add this to the list of things i haven't seen uh it sounds like something i probably should see but i think what i can appreciate from listening to you both talk about it is how much that sounds like, although I didn't live as a a young person in the 70s, how much it kind of feels more like what life is actually like with weed. Like, I mean, I think some of what we talked about before, some of the, the, I mean, the absurdist stuff that comes up around weed smoke and sort of maybe uh, what other people imagine uh, weed smokers to be like, what you're describing here in Dazed and Confused sort of... I think if perhaps films like that were more commonplace, then I wouldn't have been so surprised as a young person at, like, who was actually smoking. Um, Realizing that, you know, it's perhaps a lot more commonplace than people make it seem, because there's always this sort of, like, ooh, you smoke weed, or ooh, you smoke weed, sort of, like, uh, vibe with it. At least, and for most of the time with me, I mean, yeah, it was, like, one of those not exactly risque behaviors. It's not like, you know, popping like harder pills or anything else or, you know, like anything like that. Like to me, the sort of things that happen when you're drunk are a lot crazier. And I mean, Lord knows I've had plenty of situations with like people, you know, needing to go to the hospital right away because they overdid it as opposed to like sort of the hijinks. I mean, (laughs) that that sort of come up around weed. Like, You know, it's always sort of like trivial and like sort of stupid, but like in a funny way when it comes to weed, whereas like with everything else, there's a lot more of a serious tone. Mm -hmm. Listening to you talk about days and Confused, though, it seems like it's almost like it's about weed, but it's not really because it's just like one of those things that everybody did. And it's more just about like teenage life and, you know, trying to make sense of that so yeah uh, if I, I guess if the opportunity presents itself between like Netflix and Hulu which is pretty much my window to like movie or TV watching I'll have to check that out but I wish I had more to say about the film looking at the list of who's on the soundtrack though yeah that is everything I think I would expect of a 70s film that is being true to not weed per se but just the rock culture and like who you know like just all of that at the time. I can't say that I'm familiar with like 100% of the artists, but probably about half of them where it's like, oh yeah, I, that makes total sense to me. So, I think that if I saw the opportunity to to listen to that sort of in canon like, you know, through like CD or the vinyl or something like that, like I would totally just sort of Vibe out to that and appreciate what's
0: going on there. This is one of those soundtracks. I mean, it's on that top 50 list that uh, Friday was on, and they released a second album. It was, it was so extremely popular. It went double platinum in the US, selling huge amounts. And I mean, the amount of just artist power that is on there, that I think absolutely represents not so much the weed culture, because we could throw on, I mean, Cheech and Chong is huge at this point, and there's tons of bands that are focusing in on psychedelics and on weed use. Uh, but I think it's the party culture. I mean, this is set, the movie set in Texas. It's set in high school Texas. I mean, we're thinking about just a group of kids, majority white kids. I mean, they are looking, listening to the, the huge rock acts of the time. I mean, you have Kiss and Alice Cooper and ZZ Top, and I mean, those are Black the huge of. groups right there. Yeah, huge stuff. Aerosmith is a point uh, at the end of the movie. They are going to drive to another location, I can't remember specifically, to go get in line for Aerosmith tickets. So it definitely does represent the party atmosphere, I'm sure at the time, and represents that group, the demographic that's listening, that's portrayed in the movie. And for me, I mean, I'm I'm big into, I was big into classic rock when I was younger in my high school days. I mean, this is what I was consuming. I was consuming what my father was listening to, which is of this era. And then I sought out whatever I could. And typically the movies that I watched and, and the soundtracks that I listened to, if they were licensed soundtracks, they had classic rock components to it. So when listening to the Days and Confuse soundtrack, I mean, I was blown away by just the, the set list here and finding new artists and diving deep into things and learning who Deep Purple was and learning who War was and Foghat and all of them. So it's unbelievable what they've put together in this. It cost them a ton of money, but I think in looking at the legacy of Dazed and Confused, I mean, yes, it is still outstanding to this day, but I think it's the soundtrack that really prolongs its longevity, that prolongs its life and allows it to be as popular as it is because that music memory kicks in whenever i hear the songs and i'm sure it does for a lot of other viewers
1: oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah bud
0: well i think what we'll do is we will call that segment here obviously there's a ton of other movies and works uh tv shows that we could uh reference high maintenance is one of those tv shows i think it's an hbo show that i'd oh yeah uh, highly little, recommend like 15
1: minute episode exactly
0: ones. yeah <laughs> But a weed dealer who is, again, set in New York, and you meet his different clients. Very, very, sort of weird. I don't even think you learn the name of the the dealer. I think it's just the dealer. And, of course, I was originally going to go with Half-Baked. I love Dave Chappelle. I love yes. what he does. And I think that's a fantastically funny movie. And
1: filmed in Toronto.
0: Oh, was it? <laughs>
1: yep. It's, oh,
0: fantastic. Uh,
1: there is, like, one scene um, in particular that always makes me laugh when the guy overstuffs the horse. He, like, overfeeds him, and the horse yeah. dies. But the Sam's Record Store sign Uh, is in the background, (laughs) uh, which is a very iconic Toronto store. Very much so. But yes, Half-Baked is like,
0: oh, that movie's so good. So very good. Did you guys have any other recommendations you'd make?
2: Well, I I would only co-sign Half-Baked just because, gosh, that was, I mean, yeah, there are things from that film that I also quote. um, Yes. i'm cuban b yes (laughs) cuban b like it it, just like (laughs) there's just so many random things from that and plus i mean you know it's one of those things where it made me appreciate uh rachel true i mean just because you know again heartthrob she was freaking gorgeous in that film
1: the one scene in the movie that i love with her is the way she pronounces hot dog (laughs) <laughs> when they're on their date, and he's got no money, and she's like, uh, I want a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's what we're here for. Yeah.
2: I can definitely agree with you in terms of Harold and Kumar being so like over the top, but I think that's what made it ridiculous. And plus, I just really miss having easy access to White Castle. <laughs> i mean
1: i've never had it but i've heard Wanderer's glorious things about it oh
2: it's brilliant <laughs> it's brilliant after club food like it is oh man i have so many memories of going to the one on uh 79th and stony assuming it's still there like way after hours and just like sitting there with like a whole sack of like bacon cheeseburgers and like an insane amount of fries and you know because you order a sack you get a couple containers of a pop or whatever it's like and consuming it all in that sitting like it's not like saving this for later it's more like I'm just going to scarf this down now and that's off a of pure air i can only imagine what white castle <laughs> was like
1: you know for folks that actually got high so oh, you know it's always 10 times better when you're high <laughs> <laughs> I would say my recommendation going away is a uh, 1999 documentary called Grass. And it's directed by Ron Mann, uh, who's a Canadian documentary filmmaker. But he did a huge history of marijuana from when it was first like introduced and discovered and cultivated and through its history of legalization and um, criminalization. Uh, and it's an absolutely fascinating uh, historical documentary about marijuana in North America, specifically the States. Uh, If you're wanting to know about the history of marijuana and how it kind of got to be illegal, Grass is a documentary to uh, check out.
0: Excellent. More recommendations for our listeners. Go out and consume what you want to consume, whether it be weed or movies. Enjoy what you want to enjoy. We're not going to yuck any yums here. But uh, we really appreciate our listeners for listening. Of course, we want to continue to uh, broaden our fan base. So go ahead and subscribe to our podcast on your podcast app of choice. We are on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitch everywhere you could find us we we are there go ahead and subscribe rate and review that's a huge component when it comes to, to things like iTunes send us a five star review leave a review we really appreciate everyone who has already left us reviews we have some great reviews out there we have some fantastic listeners who have sent us their love and giving us some five star reviews we really appreciate those individuals share our social media posts continue to get the word out we are on twitter and instagram at even the score pod and you can email the show if you want to send us in some topic ideas or Just uh, give us some uh, suggestions, things to to make better, things to talk about in the future. You can find us at EvenTheScorePodcast at gmail.com. Of course, I want to thank my two co-hosts here, Anthony and Jason, for joining me again this record. Thank you very much to you both.
1: Uh, No problem, buddy.
0: You're welcome. And thank you. And that will be it for us today at the Even Score Podcast. So again, thank you very much for listening. Share and subscribe, review, send us as much love as you can, and go ahead and enjoy yourself. Have yourself a happy 420. Take care. Anthony, you got another bong rip for
2: us? It just bong on demand. Anthony, take a hit.
1: <laughs> okay, if I have to. <laughs>